as we continue looking at these verses from God's word that provide us with this taste as sweet as honey in our mouths. Tonight we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 to 10, where Paul reminds us, well, God reminds Paul, that we have grace that's sufficient, grace that's enough from him. Wondering when the last time it is that you remember having a splinter in your finger or hand or foot, has anyone here ever had to go to the doctor for a splinter that you had? Nobody. Okay, that's good. It's because there's all kinds of YouTube solutions now on how to get a splinter out. But maybe you've had one that's lasted long enough that you know you can kind of forget about it a little bit until you bump it against something or touch it and it's starting to get infected and then the pain comes back all over again and all you want is to get rid of it. You want it gone. And that's just a tiny little splinter in a finger. What Paul was dealing with as he has this exchange with God in 2 Corinthians 12 is more than just a splinter. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. As we take a look at what that thorn in the flesh was, why God gave it, what's even more amazing is the answer that God gives to Paul when he refuses to take it away from him, that his grace is sufficient. We're going to focus on two verses from chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul says, or what God says to Paul. But he said to me, that's God to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot has been written, a lot of study has gone into, maybe even we could say guesses about what Paul's thorn in the flesh actually is. And I suppose there could be some educated guesses that people could have. There's a little bit of evidence in the Bible of some things that maybe Paul went through. But here's the bottom line. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And really, anybody who wants to figure out what it is is simply guessing. There's a few things I think we can learn from the word thorn. And the idea that this was something that probably caused Paul some pain, really the original word in the Greek means something sharp, something that pokes, something that prods. And though we don't know why or what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, we know why God gave it. I'm going to back up just a couple of verses to get this set up a little bit. Paul says this, to keep him from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Hmm, what's he talking about? Well, in the first verses of chapter 12, Paul, speaking in the third person, talks about being caught up into paradise, getting to see things that words can't express. It seems that God gave Paul a glimpse of what heaven is like. And maybe that could have led Paul to pat himself on the back to say, well, I'm really something special if God would give me those kind of visions. And so, instead, Paul says, to keep him from becoming conceited, he found this messenger of Satan, he calls it. This is a nagging problem that plagued Paul. 
And that idea of sharp probably gives us the idea that it maybe caused him pain. No matter what it was, what Paul wanted is for that thorn in the flesh to be gone. In verse 8, he simply tells us this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And then God's answer came. And maybe it's an unexpected answer when we consider why Paul wanted his thorn taken away. You can almost understand Paul's thinking. He's out being the missionary that God called him to be, the missionary to the Gentiles. And as people looked at Paul with this weakness, this thorn in his flesh, he maybe thought, you know, that's going to stop people from wanting to listen to my message. It's going to affect the work of the ministry that I'm engaging in. And yet the exact opposite actually became true. God actually tells Paul, I'm not taking it away from you because... My power is made perfect in weakness. That's the unexpected answer that God gives to Paul. What was going on in Paul's life wasn't a hindrance to his ministry, but actually something that helped. Three times Paul pleaded with the Lord. As I was thinking about this text this week, I couldn't get away from the idea of the parallels that I see with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Paul's prayer to his heavenly Father. If you think about it, yes, they both asked three times. But in both cases, there were suffering involved. Jesus asks the Heavenly Father to take away his cup, the suffering that he's about to go through on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Paul wants his thorn in the flesh gone. And interestingly enough, God's answer to both of them is no. But he doesn't leave them without strength, without encouragement. To Jesus, God sends angels to strengthen him for that final journey to the cross. And for Paul, God says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perhaps just one more point of comparison between Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Paul praying to God. In both cases, Although the answer directly to what they wanted from God was no, think of the blessings that God brought through those thorns. Paul could say, God's power rested on me all the more. Jesus went to a cross where he redeemed the whole world by his sacrifice on that cross. That's what Paul's talking about when he says that God's grace would rest on him, that God's grace was sufficient for him. It was enough. See, it's almost as if God's saying to Paul, I know you're suffering, but remember, remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you in Jesus. Remember that there's nothing more that you really need than knowing that your sins are forgiven and life with me is secured forever in heaven. And then Paul takes it one step further, that God's power is made perfect in his weakness. The idea behind that phrase is that it finds its fulfillment. That when people are weak, it takes eyes off of the person and directs them to God. That's what God was doing in Paul's ministry. This weak thorn in the flesh, Paul, who earlier in chapter 4 had called himself a jar of clay, that weakness of Paul made God's grace that much more bright. 
It made it shine in Paul's life and in the message that he proclaimed. This wasn't something that hindered Paul's ministry, but it was as if God took a spotlight and shined it not on Paul, but on who Paul was preaching, Jesus, and the salvation that is found in him alone. Paul's conclusion is interesting. When God's answer comes back to him, he doesn't pout. He doesn't get upset and frustrated. He rejoices. He says, then I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Because if that's what causes God's power to rest on me, then I'm no longer weak, but actually strong. Not in his own strength, but in the strength that God alone can provide. I don't know what thorns you would consider happening in your own life right now. What's bothering you as you walk in here tonight? Maybe it's just a class that, and I'll, the first one that always comes to my mind is O-Chem. Sorry for any of you that's taken O-Chem, but I've seen the textbooks. I know it, I, I couldn't even, I wouldn't make it through the first day. Maybe it's another class that you have that you just say, boy, it's going to be tough getting through this semester with that class. Maybe it's just fears of the future. What am I going to do with my life? What's going to happen in the next couple of years? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Maybe it's a little bit more immediate, like paying for school and rent and trying to eat every once in a while. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't working out quite the way that you thought it would. I want you to see, first of all, what Paul does. When his thorn in the flesh came, where did he go? First, to the Lord. He took it to the Lord in prayer, and so can you. See, God knows what you're going through. He cares about you. He proved how much he cares about you by sending his son Jesus to suffer and die for you on a cross and to rise again to guarantee your victory. But then the second thing is important too, and it's what Paul did. He flips the narrative. See, the narrative in our world, the narrative in my life and in your life is pain, all pain, all suffering is bad. Right? When we feel pain, when something isn't right in our lives, we want to do anything that we can, like a splinter and a finger, to get rid of it, to have it be gone. But do you see how God actually demonstrates to us today that sometimes those things that don't go quite the way that we would like them to are actually a blessing rather than something terrible? Because if your thorns, if the troubles that you go through in this life direct you back to Jesus, that can only be good. See, Paul reminds us where to turn. When a thorn comes, when something uncomfortable, when pain or suffering comes to your life, and you can't figure a way out of it, God already knows. God already knows the way out for you. God already knows how to deliver you from it. God already knows how to use it for your good. Even more, what those thorns do is direct us to the one who wore a crown of thorns on a cross. When I remember that my pain can take me right back to Jesus, and the pain that he took for me, and the eternal life that that guarantees, that's the strength that God wants to provide for you and me. It won't take away our thorns completely. It won't even maybe minimize the pain, but from our thought process, it can reduce the idea of pain being a horrible thing. 
if it drives us back to our Savior. And then the words that Paul heard are words that God speaks to you too. My grace, my love for you in Jesus is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. A couple take away, I'll share one passage with you first from John chapter 1. I love this verse that John gives us as he's recounting Jesus coming into this world and the word becoming flesh. He writes this, Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Here's the point. God has given us the biggest grace, the grace of the forgiveness of sins and an eternal life with him through Jesus. Then he promises that there's even more grace in store for us. Grace to help us through whatever goes on in this life as he guides us from this world to our home with him in heaven. A couple takeaways. Number one, the grace of Jesus overwhelms the thorns and weaknesses we experience. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? When weaknesses drive us to the cross of Jesus, that's what makes us strong. Number two, even in our troubles, we celebrate the grace of God and his strength for us in Jesus. When we're weak, that's when we're strong. In his letter, James in his epistle wrote this, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because those trials produce perseverance for our faith as they drive us right back to the cross of Jesus. In effect, we can be thankful for the pains, the thorns that we have in this life if they keep us focused on what's to come, the joy of eternity with our Savior. Maybe some of you know this story. I read it not too long ago, and I guess I maybe am just not an outboard motor, the history of outboard motors fan that I didn't know this. Do you know that the Evinrud motor was actually created in Wisconsin? And the creator of the Evinrud motor, a guy by the name of Ali Evinrud, came from Norway in the early 1900s and he settled about 35 miles from here in Cambridge, Wisconsin, on Lake Ripley, if you've ever been there. And one afternoon, a few days after, a few years after he moved to the area, he and his well, the love of his life, Bess, decided that they were going to go for a picnic, not on Lake Ripley. They actually went to Lake Okachi. Some of you might know where that is in Oconomowoc. And they rowed their boat to their picnic spot, laid out the blanket, began eating their meal, and Bess said, you know, I'd really like some ice cream. Well, Ollie loved Bess so much that he got back in the boat rowed to shore, got the ice cream, and brought it back. But on his way back, he started thinking, how can I make the trip from shore to our picnic spot more quick? More, make, make it a quicker trip. And the seeds of the outboard motor were born in Ollie's mind. I don't know if we can call it the Evinrude principle in our lives too, but that idea that, that even when you feel like you're rowing over and over and over again, can't quite get to where you want to be, there's something good waiting. That even in the seeds of the thorns that we suffer in this life are born the blessings that God wants you to experience. See that phrase, my grace is enough? That's a phrase that's sweet. 
sweet like honey because it reminds us that no matter what happens to us in this life, we have the sure hope of a life free from the trials of this world with our Lord forever in heaven. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll pray and then Jacob will take us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we see the suffering of Jesus, we are reminded of what you did for us and how your grace covers all of our sins. When we suffer, when things don't go the way we have planned in this life, remind us, Lord, that you have a purpose even in our pain, that you drive us back to the cross of Jesus, back to your love for us, and you remind us that your grace is enough. Keep us, Lord, in your care always. Keep us close to you through your word and sacraments and guide us ultimately, Lord, to the joy that we have waiting for us forever in the heaven that you've prepared for us. We pray this all in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.